Y'all are in for a treat today. Been uh, working with my dear friend to get him on the show for some time now, and today is the day. Our guest, Jimmy Chin. That's right. He's an Academy Award-winning filmmaker. You surely saw his uh, film, Free Solo, which chronicled Alex Honnold, uh, free soloing um, one of the gnarliest routes in all of climbing. Um, you also probably know him as a National Geographic photographer, just an overall mountain sports dude, an athlete known for his ability to capture these images and stories while climbing and skiing in the highest risks environments in the world. Um, his film Meru in 2015 won the coveted audience award at the Sundance Film Festival. He was shortlisted for an Oscar for Best Daco, but then he came back with Free Solo to win a BAFTA, seven Emmys, and of course, the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature last year in 2019. His photos, of course, have appeared everywhere. The covers of National Geographic, the New York Times Magazine. Um, he's done a ton of commercial work. Um, we've been in the same universe for, I would say, probably 15 years. Um, many of you, you may or may not know, you probably remember, um, I cut my teeth as an action sports photographer um, working in that field. Uh, for large corporate clients, but over a really long period of time. And Jenny and I had the good chance or the good opportunity rather crossing paths a lot. We have a lot of mutual friends. So with this conversation, there's both this, a, a kinship and a camaraderie, uh, an awareness of what it takes to make creative stuff in those environments. But we come at it from very different worlds. And Jimmy, uh, again, has achieved insane success. Uh, we talk about so many things that are going to be of value, regardless if you're a climber or an outdoor sports action figure, uh, action figure, not to be confused with a plastic toy. <laughs> um, although if there was one, uh, Jimmy would be that, He's, you know, buff, good looking guy who is rugged in the outdoors. Um, but what I love about this is, is we, um, investigate Jimmy's path step by step instructions, if you will, on, he got his start on how he got his start rather, um, from living at home, uh, wrapping up school and moving to, uh, Yosemite to live in his car be a dirtbag uh, climber and photographer and how he went from, again, high school to doing that to the global um, creative superstar that he is today, step by step. Um, we also talk about the road to winning recognition by your peers in any field. I think this is particularly um, insightful because a lot of piece of people chase the end result versus the process. And Jimmy talks a lot in great detail about the difference between those two things, which I find a place where so many creators and entrepreneurs uh, trip up. Um, he's so he's very good at explaining his inner why, what really makes him tick. And I think you'll learn a lot on how to express yourself in that way. Um, we also talk about parenting. Um, he is the parent and he talks about it, not just in, in, um, COVID times here, what it's like to be around your kids 24 seven. Um, but imagine his world where he's usually on the road, you know, hundred, 200 days a year. Um, and you know, the, the upside of now being with his kids, uh, with a lot more regularity. Um, and he's just got some wisdom again. I'm not a parent. I'm a, a fungal. Um, but he speaks about parenting in a way that, uh, is really inspirational. I think for those of you that have young ones at home, uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of value here. Um, and speaking of family stuff, uh, we talk about how Jimmy um, initially had to manage his parents and the other people in his life as he left school and again went to live in his car. Like as he talks about, um, he has he's of um, his parents are of Chinese descent or Chinese immigrants, and he had to he talked about how to communicate with them in such a way that 
uh, helped them understand that he was not homeless, that he was doing this out of intention. So if you've ever had to have hard conversations with your family, or more importantly, if you haven't yet and you need to, this is going to be incredibly insightful. And I'm sure you can tell from the great detail that I am uh, dropping here in the intro, this is packed. It's chock full of valuable stuff. Uh, It's been super exciting to, um, it's been a a long process rather, because Jimmy and I are in we're both busy folks. Um, Jimmy, so much of his time is spent, you know, on the road living at, at Everest Base Camp for two months at a time. Um, it's hard to get him uh, to sit still for two hours, which is, um, you know, we're not quite that long in the runtime of the show. But to be able to sit down with him and extract all this value was such a treat. And I can't wait for you to hear it. So right now you're saying, all right, then if that's the case, Chase. Why don't you shut up? And let us get to Jimmy. So that's what I'm going to do right now. But before we do, just a super quick word from our sponsor. And then we're live with Jimmy Chin. Hey, y'all. Hey, uh, new sponsor alert. So this episode of Chase Jarvis Live is brought to you by Creative Live. And you all know, yeah, of course, I am the founder of that company. But I got to just be straight up. This is unequivocally, no questions asked, the best place in the world for creator and entrepreneurial education. I mean... Frankly, nothing even comes close, and it's the only one that's focused specifically on photography, design, video, art, music, craft, and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all those disciplines. It's where the best teachers in the world, where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best go to teach. So, of course, I'm biased, but I I just encourage you to check it out because nothing else comes close and you will be on your way to join millions of other folks in our creative community there learning from the world's top experts okay that's it that's my soapbox that is the commercial and we'll hope to see you over creative life now let's get back to the show mr jimmy chin in the house jimmy welcome to the show bud hey how's it going (laughs) good where are you coming in live from today, my man? I'm coming in live from my home in Jackson, Wyoming. And and uh, before I confess, before we were live, you were uh, commenting about a ski. You just got to uh, ski a big line yesterday. Is that right? Can you give us the uh, what it's what line you skied and or what it's like to be skiing right now uh, in, in COVID when most people are locked in small apartments around the world? Yeah, <laughs> I mean we've been. Throughout this whole kind of quarantine, uh, you know, we've been doing, you know, getting out, being in the back country, but obviously keeping it really mellow because we didn't want to stress the already stressed um, healthcare system. So, uh, but, you know, just pretty much in my backyard. (laughs) He's just pointing at it. It's it's right there. (laughs) Um, Not in in the park, but south of the park. skiing up around um some of the southern tetons um it's been really been very grateful um that you know we're in a place where we have an opportunity to kind of stay outside and be outside and get some fresh air and exercise and um i think as they say in wyoming we've been residents of wyoming have been social distancing since the inception of the state (laughs) Well said, yeah. For so many people uh, who are, again, locked in small apartments all around the world, we've got folks coming in from London, from South Africa. I see an Australia. I see an Oslo, a Copenhagen. Um, so 
Yeah. So that we have people joining in from all over the world is not an overstatement. And I'm sure a lot of those folks are locked in small apartments somewhere. So um, thank you for living your best life in Wyoming and uh, we'll live vicariously through you. I also have a chance to be outside here. I'm on the Puget Sound. I'm going to go for a paddle here shortly. Uh, one of the few opportunities to uh, to be outside in, in in you know a place for me. Uh, I've been in the family for about 100 years, this little chunk of property. I'm trying to do the same thing, you know, work when I can and, uh, and remotely, but your work is entirely different than most people's work because your work is basically remote by nature. And yet integrating uh, a lot of equipment, a lot of other people making films and whatnot. But before we get into like more about what you're doing right now, I want to go back for those folks who are new to your world. Uh, I'm guessing they'd have to be living under a rock because damn near everybody I know on the whole planet has seen free solo. Um, but most people don't know your backstory from, uh, in, in the world that we're talking to mostly creators and entrepreneurs tuning in today. So familiar with the, the profession that you set out at, but not the climbing part. They understand the, the photography and the filmmaking. Um, so I'm looking to build a little bit of a narrative arc. Let's go back to, um, you know, early days. How did you find this sort of the passion that you have right now for, being outside and how did you combine that with um with filmmaking to make a not just a a life but a living as well yeah well kind of ironically like i grew up in the midwest in like a small town called mankato minnesota in like south central minnesota which is basically one of the flattest places in the united states (laughs) um and certainly not like a a hotbed of you know climbers or high altitude alpinists or really photographers or filmmakers. Um, (laughs) But Uh. I think, you know, my, my parents were from China, Chinese immigrants, and they were librarians at the university there. And I guess, you know, I've been asked this a bit, but I, I, I really think it's because I was fed a ton of books growing up. I had an older sister who read voraciously. So I was always, and she was six years older than me. So I was always kind of like picking up the books that she had been reading and, and um, was reading pretty advanced levels, like at a young age. And I think that really kind of um, expanded my imagination. Uh, And, you know, I grew up doing a lot of different, activities, sports. Um, I started playing the violin when I was three and a half and swam competitively and studied the martial arts um, and was pretty competitive. Uh, My parents really stressed excellence and, you know, kind of traditional Chinese parents were like all about academics and getting into the right schools and stuff. And so I had that kind of like pounded into me um, kind of those that ethos of hard work and trying really hard and, you know, being in kind of competitive sports. Um, but I, they weren't really my things, you know, they were kind of imposed on me. And while like I've been more and more appreciative as I've grown older for like what those activities gave me, when I was younger, I was like, I want to go. I, all I wanted to do is play outside. And 
I found skiing pretty early on um, and that became my thing. So I only got to do it if I was, you know, doing well in school and everything else. And it, it actually motivated me to do really well so that I could ski as much as possible on this teeny hill behind my house. Um, and I guess for so long, I just wanted to like escape my little hometown in the Midwest and explore the world. And, uh, and I found climbing when I was in college, um, and between climbing and skiing, all I wanted to do is be in the mountains. Um, and that's kind of the path that I chose is I, I finished school, uh, and I moved to Yosemite and just went for it. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. And, and that was actually a really, really hard choice for me because, you know, I had a lot of pressure, certainly from my parents and my family, but I think also in society, you know, you're supposed to finish school and then you're supposed to get your internship or get your first job and start your career path. Um, and I was, you know, living in the back of my car or in a cave behind camp four, really questioning if that was the right decision, you know? Um, but that's, that's the path that I chose. And well, at what point, at what point, so, you know, it sounds like you were, you ran to climbing rather than ran to photography. And so at what point did you start to put those two things together? Cause I, I want, I definitely want to circle back. I, I, have written extensively about this. And I think you and I have a shared value around understanding what society wants for you. And then there's the things that you actually have to do that you're put on this planet and finding out about it. I want to go back to that. But before, like you just talked about climbing and where did the, where did the, uh, the art part of your yeah. living and life come into the picture? I mean, it, it followed pretty quickly after I started spending time in Yosemite. Um, maybe within that year that I moved there, um, maybe two years after I kind of really committed to climbing, I picked up a camera from a good friend of mine who was uh, still a very close friend of mine, Brady Robinson. He's um, now the executive director at the Conservation Alliance. But you know, he showed me how to use his camera and it was like a manual. I actually, he sent it to me, um, years Grab ago. Grab it. Can you see it? Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> nice. Check out the analog right here. Yes. <laughs> An old Nikon, um, Is it F2 or FE, F, F, F? FE3. FE3. There you go. Um, but he, uh, he showed me how to use it and I, I took a photo with it um, one morning and uh, he was trying to sell his photos. We were shooting on slides and um, a company bought one photo from him and it was the photo that I took. And they paid $500 for this photo, which, you know, when you're living out of your car and I was actually teaching at Knowles at the time. Um, as well, just and odd jobs, waiting tables. I was doing whatever I could to kind of feed the um, the passion. But 
I took that money and I bought a camera. And I just remember thinking that was like an outrageous amount of money for a photo. I was like, they paid that much money for a photo. <laughs> and of course, you know, like the, I joke about this, but at the time I was like, wow, I only need to take one photo a month and I'll be able to live like this for the rest of my life. And I'm like living the dream. <laughs> so it's amazing that that, that you st share that story. I sold my photo for 500 bucks, but I also it was 500 bucks and a pair of heart skis. You remember those oh, skis? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think also a Minnesota company. I think. Yeah. Um, 500, and I had the same exact thought. Like, wait a minute. So it's 500 bucks. All I have to do is just do that again and then again, and then I can just live here and ski. I was living in Steamboat at the time. Right. And I can just live here and do that over and over again. This is this is a good life. Yeah. And so clearly that's that's changed for you. Um, so if that was the first um, the first break, if you will, presumably others came. Um, but did you did you feel like let's go back to that thing that I said we were going to go back to earlier? This idea of you know you were raised in a family where expectations were high that you were going to perform and check a lot of the culturally accepted boxes. Um, and I think for so many people watching, just as a reminder, now we've got people tuned in also from Monica, from Dubai. Um, I know we've got a fellow Minnesotan in the house, nice. um, India, Washington, DC, um, lots of folks, but I'm guessing a lot of those people, um, have been told stories from their parents and, and career counselors and mentors and friends and spouses about what they ought to be and become either when they grow up or that they better get their act together. And my assumption is that coming from a family where high performance was well regarded and academics were stressed, that this puts some stress on the relationship with your parents and the relationship, we'll just say, with the world. So since so many people have the same problem, uh, this challenge. Um, how did you deal with it? And um, was it easy, hard? Just give us a little bit of a blow by blow. Yeah. I mean, I think when I think of like my story and especially in, in the beginning, like that choice in my early 20s to follow my heart and my passion was certainly the most pivotal decision I ever made in my life, hands down. And those kinds of decisions are never easy. Um, I think that there was or is sometimes a misperception that I always knew what I wanted to do and it was really clear and I just did it and um, it kind of all fell into place, which to a degree is true. But the thing that I think is um, misunderstood is that that choice was filled with so much doubt and it wasn't like feeling doubt and dread for a couple months it was like years of doubt um and also feeling really guilty in a way like i'd let down my parents and that you know because i did have a lot of friends that did follow a fairly traditional career path have done really well, are very happy, but it wasn't, it, it, it didn't fit for me. And so whenever you feel like, oh, I'm not fitting in, that, 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 that's hard, you know? Um, and people often ask me, you know, like, what's the greatest risk you've ever taken? And 
you know, I think the assumption is like climbing this mountain or skiing that mountain, but easily it was kind of taking the leap and, um, and moving to, you know, Yosemite and, and living in a car, which, you know, my parents viewpoint was like <laughs> the ultimate failure. Um, in the sense, like I, you know, cause I would like, I, I would call my sister and check in with her and be like, well, how are mom and dad doing kind of getting the low down for my sister who, by the way, you know, went to Stanford, went to Oxford, was at Yale, you know, I mean, she checked a lot of the, the boxes yeah. for me. <laughs> She's brilliant. Um, and she was always super encouraging. She was like, you know what, you gotta do what you, you, you're doing right now. It's the right thing. But she'd say, and I'd be like, oh, how's mom doing? And she'd say, well, mom keeps saying under her, bre under her breath that she's raised a homeless man. Um, and that was kind of like the, the their perspective, you know, they were like, he, he, he got lost along the way. We did everything we could for him. Um, and it was, I was, I think it was really hard on my parents, um, which was made it hard on me. And I can imagine now, like if my kids, you know, like, I would call my parents and be like, well, I'm leaving for Pakistan and I'm climbing high altitude walls for the next three months. And that, you know, we didn't have a sat phone or anything. And so it was like, I, I'll send a postcard when I get to Islamabad and, you know, I'll see you in three months, you know? Um, I mean, it'd be hard, I think for any parent. For sure. Well, let's, let's, um, less about your parents and more about you. What, what was the, like, what was your headspace? Did you feel undeniably you were doing the right thing? You talked about it as the hardest thing you've ever done. Yeah. Did you, what, what, and you talked about doubt. Did you ever think about throwing in the towel or once you started on this path? Yeah, um, I, I did think I was going to throw in the towel because originally I had said, Hey, I'm going to do this for a year climb and ski full time. And then I'm going to follow a career path. And after that year, I actually went to San Francisco, was couch surfing at a friend's place, um, trying to do interviews. And I did a bunch of interviews. Um, and for, you know, like uh, environmental NGOs, I had studied um, international relations and um, a big part of it was on international law and environmental studies. Uh, so I was kind of toying with this idea of doing, and I did a bunch of interviews. And then, um, and then actually a friend of mine from Mammoth called me and was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I have interviews. I have an interview tomorrow. He's like, you got to come out to Mammoth now. There's storms lined up from <laughs> Indonesia about to hit the California coast. What are you doing? You're an idiot. And I was like, no, no, no I can't, I can't go to Mammoth. He's, and then, um, the next day I packed up my car and drove to Mammoth <laughs> and then <laughs> I never looked back and it was like the winter of 97 or something. I mean, it was 395 had closed down and it was, it just nuked. It was an El Nino year. It just nuked all day, every day for like 
three months straight or four months straight. And I just skied pow and lived in my friend's, my friend was caretaking a house and there was a boiler room in the basement. And I was sleeping on a sleeping pad in a boiler room in his basement and just skiing every day. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I, I but I, I still struggled. I, I, but the joy I was feeling, I yeah. mean, and, and I mean, they were, it was, it was such a deep, profound experience that I still seek and live for every day. And, and it's that feeling of being in the mountains and that self-reliance and that ex exploration and adventure um, and the friendships, you know. Was so. that, yeah, ultimately, how did you reconcile this with your parents? Because again, I think doing the thing that you're compelled to do is, you know, we can understand why we would do that. And, and yet there's still this moment where um, most people that I know who have taken a non-traditional path there, if it's not a moment, then it's a, a lifetime of small moments of reconciling with the people who, when you struck out on your own, didn't understand. Yeah. And I remember for me, my parents, it's, you know, finally when it was like, oh, uh, yeah, do you want to, um, where I was able to fly them around, like, oh, you want to come, you know, we're wrapping up in Switzerland. Do you want to come join yeah. us at the end of the shoot when they start to understand that, okay, because you tell them $500 in a pair of skis and they think it's cute. Yeah. And presumably it's some, you know, it's, oh, neat. That's great. But presumably <laughs> at some point. Moment. Yeah you have to have a conversation with them. And is this, was this one moment or was it a thousand tiny moments? Because the people who are listening again from, from all over the world right now, most of these people haven't yet had the conversations with the people in their lives that they love. Yeah. And so I'm looking for you to help us uh, understand this a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I would say it, it was really hard, hard enough for a couple of years where my communication with them really dropped off. Like probably two years um and but i was also really focused in some ways it was really meaningful and motivating because i was like i had a lot to prove all of a sudden too yeah you know um and sometimes that's healthy sometimes that's not healthy um i don't really see a therapist so i don't know but I, you know that's part of the struggle you know where um you're also questioning, okay, well, what are my motivations and where are they coming from? And what are my intentions? I mean, those are really important questions to ask yourself all the time, right? Um, and those are the questions I was asking myself, a lot of existential questions. Um, you know, what is my purpose on this planet? Those kind of things. Um, but I found the relief in the act of climbing and in the act of being in the mountains and then in the act of shooting and photographing and starting to tell stories. And, and I got really, really focused on, you know, doing things every single day that I felt like were like moving me forward in some way um, towards kind of an not totally clear goal, but I just was, it was about bettering myself all the time in everything that I did. And I did understand that like, I wanted to be the best version of myself in everything that I could 
that I was doing. Um, and so that, that kept me really motivated. And so I started finally, I started publishing pretty early on. Um, and I think that, you know, when my parents started seeing I was publishing, that was one thing they didn't love the idea that I was going on these like massive expeditions to very remote places that seemed, you know, they used to say to me like, well, of course we're really, really worried because there's not even a word in Chinese for what you do. Like <laughs> we have like a <laughs> 5,000 year old written history and there isn't even a word for what you do in Chinese. So we need something to tell our friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like you have to like, you know, give us a little a break here because it's just like so far out of our realm of reality. Um, and, and I, and then, you know, that I took that into account, but when I started publishing and then I think ultimately when there was, um, in 2002, uh, or 2003, when I got published in national geographic and we were at the headquarters and there was this, the whole lobby was dedicated to this expedition I'd done with Conrad, Anchor, Rick Ridgway and Galen Rowell to Tibet. And we were giving a talk at the um, Grosvenor Auditorium. And, and I remember walking in with the lobby with my mom and her looking around um, and I think that that was a big moment. That was a big moment. And then I, you know, I, I gave a talk to a packed auditorium with Conrad and Rick. And, uh, and then we all went out for dinner afterwards. And, and I think that was a, that was a moment, you know. Is it fair to say then that you just had to um, cultivate what would be traditionally seen as success in order to get the haters or the people who were unsure or unclear. And I'm expanding yeah. it beyond your parents here. Cause I'm yeah. sure your parents aren't haters, but yeah. for to like, you know, um, external validation, is that one of the things that you felt have helped tip that? And so folks would stop asking questions. I mean, that was never the focus of like getting that external validation outside of like, in some ways, I'd kind of written off my parents for a while. You know, you're in your early 20s. That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> and who doesn't write off their parents in their early you're 20s? You're like, right? they have no clue what's going on. And I am just going to do this thing. And it was that total commitment. And I'm sure you've heard this many times from the people you've had on your show and, and friends. But I was committed completely to um, the craft of each of the things that I was doing, whether that was climbing, um, a big part of it was also just like putting together expeditions. That's a, a craft, you know, you have yeah. to have like a vision, you have to have an idea, you have to be like hugely motivated to go do something that doesn't really pay you any money. And I mean, some of it's for the glory, but some of it's really just about being like really inspired when you see some mountain that is in this remote range and it's never been climbed and you see a beautiful line on it. And I don't know why, but that can be like hugely motivating. Um, and so there was that kind of just deep commitment in doing what I was doing and, um, actually not looking for 
external validation. And, and climbing is kind of an interesting, especially when I, like in the late nineties, like there's an ethos around it. Everybody's trying to be understated and you're just trying to be, you know, you're trying to push yourself and, and push it to the edge and see what you can achieve. And I was really surrounded by a lot of people like that um, in Yosemite. And that's why I, I, you know, I always think of like the climbing tribe is still the closest community to my heart because those are the people that I, I fell in with and that, you know, just they're so motivated. And at the time, you know, climbing has become much more mainstream now, but like it was a lot of misfits and just like, but extraordinary people um, that I felt like just had like a lot of human spirit and, and we're always kind of chasing the human potential. Um, and that's kind of like very much a theme in the work that I've done. Oh, there's, I, I love this, um, the way that you articulated uh, focusing on the craft and keeping your head down and largely ignoring those voices, whether you're from your parents. And I think you, you attributed to being in your 20s, but I think that's a, a great piece of takeaway for anyone who's listening that you, you are going to have to ignore people. And often these people that are arguably some of the closest people that you have in the world who don't understand your vision, but this idea of, and, and an ethos, I think is a great word, of allegiance to yourself and to your tribe of misfits um, that you've fallen in love with around whatever it is that you want to do. And it's to understand that that culture doesn't largely welcome those folks and whether it's external validation that ultimately um, helps them capitulate and start paying attention to you or, or something else. Um, I love that there's this a focus on the thing rather than on the the things that are uh, the focus on the thing and the craft rather than on what would arguably um, be distractions. So uh, if you're just now joining us, tuning in live from all over the world, I'm Chase and I'm sitting here with uh, my longtime friend, Jimmy Chin. Not only is he one of the top climbers in the world, but he's also a an oscar winner now with uh free solo man huge that was just that rocked our community in the best way um when you won that thing and so for those watching we are taking questions i see questions coming in from the world uh we'll uh, ask a few of those in due time here so if you have them put them in the comments and i will see them and forward them to jimmy um but i do want to shift gears jimmy that was a great you know sort of re um, un unpacking, if you will, of um, how you got from what I say zero to one, how you went from having a dream to living it. Now let's talk about going from one to 10. If 10 is winning an Oscar and um, one is just getting started, talk to us about five when you're at like points four, five, and six in the middle and you're just grinding. Because I think that's a dark tunnel for a lot of people and that's where a lot of people shift and give in and... and um, We'll celebrate at the end here. We'll talk about we'll talk about the Oscar and the Oscar parties. But yeah. uh, talk to us about the grind for a little bit and what it takes to achieve the success that you've created for yourself in filmmaking and climbing. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. Um, really, kind of shutting out the noise and staying really focused and committed to the craft. And for me, it wasn't just photography, it was also climbing and skiing. And, um, 
like I was saying, like putting expeditions together and, um, but, you know, I think between, I would say the grind is like 10 years long, you know, from 26 to 36 or whatever. I mean, I mean, I'm still grinding these days. It's like a lot of work every day. Um, and you got to love the grind. I mean, you got to embrace the yeah. grind, first of all. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like expedition climbing, there were so many takeaways and maybe, you know, it's a nature versus nurture thing. I, I, I don't know, but like, maybe I was built to do that, but, um, hard expeditions are hard. <laughs> they, they, you have to character and resilience and a lot overcoming fear and stress and, and optimism yeah. and, and the lessons I feel like I learned from doing expeditions were really applicable to the work and the career, because if you can think of, you know, as, as a climber and, and you can take the parallels from this if you want, but especially a professional climber, you're looking to do things that nobody's ever done before. And oftentimes the objectives you're going for are seemingly impossible. And maybe a lot of people have tried them and failed and, you know, it's, it's, it's way off out here. Um, and what you discover when you start doing a lot of expeditions is that occasionally when everything lines up and you put your head down and you, um, put one foot in front of the other and, you know, every obstacle you can imagine drops in front of you along your path towards this objective. And you just take it all in and you chip away at it. It's, it's literally one step at a time. Occasionally you achieve it and it's kind of unbelievable. And when, when, when that has been reinforced over time and which it was for me, that like these impossible objectives were actually possible just through, you know, it's not a big secret. It's, it's, it's called hard work, <laughs> you know, um, and, and being committed, um, but also being smart, uh, knowing when to cut your losses also to when to turn around. Um, but you discover that you can achieve these kind of extraordinary things, um, not by doing one extraordinary thing, but by like doing a lot of little things to get there. And that's basically the mentality I took to my work as a photographer and as a filmmaker. Um, I think you have to have that objective in mind and it has to be there and you have to be inspired by it, motivated by it. Um, it can also become really overwhelming if that's all you're looking towards. So it's a balance of like staying focused on what's in front of you, the next three feet, and then occasionally checking in with yourself. Like, is this still where I want to go? You know, um, because that's also important. Uh, that's great. What role? So Molly Bendath or Molly Bond asks, I know you're, he's scaled back some of his uh, efforts recently or at some point and, and, um, I'm going to take it out of just like your relationship with Conrad and put it into the role of community. Like what role did community play in your motivation, inspiration, and your growth and development? Uh, the, the 
climbing community or yeah i'll just talk about the kind of the climbing community and then there's all these concentric circles too because then there's this, the photography community there's the filmmaking community there's writers that i've worked with you know there's a lot of different communities that start to overlap um what i really appreciated about my work that i'm the most grateful for um have been the people that i've been able to work with and climb with and collaborate with uh i think the most important part of being in these communities for me that was really pivotal were the people that kind of came out of those communities who kind of took me under their wing and, and recognized kind of my work ethic um, and, you know, really gave me big opportunities, um, which I took. I think it's important part of the conversation when it comes to mentorship, though, is that I always say that you don't necessarily find your mentors, they find you. And it, that's become much more clear to me now. Because being a mentor is a is a huge investment. Um, and you want to invest in people that you feel like are um, committed and have paid their dues in a certain way, um, and have showed kind of um, their commitment to what they're doing and and their love and passion for it and that their intentions are all in the right place um but w those are really important things um but the community for me has has played a huge role in my career for sure um not to jump ahead but i i do know that the overwhelming feeling I had at the Oscars, and I don't know why, well, I do know why, because it's, it, it is what it is, but like, it was, it's like my life flashed in front of my eyes and it was all of the people that helped me along the way to get me there because you don't get to a place like that by yourself. Like I've had so many incredible mentors and people in my life that have um, really, you know, helped guide me or push me along or that I aspired to, you know. Um, and uh, so I hope that is the question, answers the no, question. No, no, yeah. It, it, I think it's, um, it, I, I don't, I believe that the most misunderstood thing in culture is largely community. We're social animals, first of all. So we, whether we are introverts or extroverts, or we like spending, you know, time alone, or we see ourselves as a solopreneur or whatever, like you're not going to get there without, you know, help from so many people, even if it's, um, if it's not clear where that help's coming from, yeah. or you, you know, you mentioned mentorship and, um, I, I just think it's, it's really helpful to hear from someone like yourself who has, achieved it and specifically through the lens of the oscars like it's you know best director uh you know, like the 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 doc of the year like these are these are things that are people perceive as this solo journey with a backpack walking into the woods but i think you'd be the first to say that it's it's anything but so to yeah. hear from your own mouth that that 
at the Oscars, that was the thing you were reflecting on the most. Um, how, let me ask another follow-up question there. So how, you know, what, what's some advice that you would give to people who now that you've, you know, laid bare this truth that you, know, you only get there on the shoulders of so many other people and peers and friends and mentors and collaborators, um, you know, do you have some advice uh, on how to show up? I mean, it's hard. Sometimes I'm like, my my advice is oh, it seems really harsh, <laughs> usually. But, no, but this lately, is what, but, but see, I've this been is, thinking about I'll, this a lot. Make it harsh. I've been thinking about this a lot because just with social media and with where the world is at right now um, and culturally, you know, I, and, and maybe people have been saying this for generations, probably. Um, but I've, I've had a lot of conversations with up and coming filmmakers and photographers um, and, and they all come from it with different views and intentions, um, you know, but it's sometimes I feel like the people are thinking about it a little bit backwards. It's like they want to get to this point for recognition or for more followers or for more, um, like we talked about earlier, like more external validation, reasons of external validation, which if is is natural i think um but i don't know if that's the right paradigm to follow um because of what we talked about earlier because it it, it has to be about the work it's got to be about yeah. it's not like you're doing it to get to here it's it's you're doing it to be here present now and and doing the thing that like is is inspiring to you that you're obsessed with and motivated by and that you're creating. Um, because only if you can do that, are you truly ever going to be able to get to there? And, and, and so to, to, to not, to maybe flip that around and, and think about it in that way, because, um, and this actually leads back to mentorship is that when I see people who are working in that way that I was just talking about, because a, a huge part of what I do in storytelling and in the filmmaking that I do is you, you're like really examining people's intentions, right? And what are their motivations? Um, and that's important. And those are questions that you should ask, ask yourself. Um, and so it, when, and I, and I think that that's, that's why I had really incredible mentors because I think that they saw that I was just, obsessed with you know this thing that i was doing and making and creating and the last thing i was really thinking about was you know trying to be famous or trying well we didn't have social media in the late 90s but um it it, it was just what i was creating was like the most important thing and the people i was with and how we were collaborating and making these things was like hugely you know um interesting and to me. Um, and so that's a long way of saying, I don't know, find your passion. And, and, and like, no, but it's so there's yeah. so much wisdom in there. Because again, this external part is, 
that's the part that people see at the end of the journey. And again, we're social animals, so being patted on the back, it's not it's not a surprise that people yeah. want to be patted on the back. It's just the way you get back pats, it's not actually from just showing up on the summit. It's yeah. you know what I mean? If you just if you could took a helicopter to the summit, it's not about being at the summit, yeah. right? It's about the journey that it took you yeah. to get there and the people and your peers and your community is sort of along for the ride in so many ways. So I think that's it's insane advice and it's 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 not said frequently enough. So thanks for being willing to say it. Um, now let's talk about some of that success because clearly um, you, you've seen a lot of it, especially recently. Do you have a, um, is there, um, I don't know, have you reconciled that yet? Is it like, I mean, has it sunk in? <laughs> I, mean, I know you got, you know, you have, yeah. have the tree, you have the trophies on the shelf there, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say, well, it, it, it was, first of all, like releasing a film and then, and then going into an Oscar campaign. I, I don't know if people really know, but it, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, and I'm not even doing like a $200 million feature film press tour. Like I'm doing a small doc press tour, but you're, you're in a whirlwind for a year. Um, and you're traveling a lot and you're doing a lot of events and you're meeting a lot of people. Um, and it took me a little bit to get my head wrapped around it because you're doing all these events because you're trying to get people to watch your film or get people to vote for your film. Um, which is kind of antithetical to like what we were just talking about. You know, it's kind of like I'm out here on the road um, publicizing the work and not doing the work and trying to win something, but not doing the work. Um, but it was interesting because I just basically took the ethos of like doing work. Well, I was like, well, this is what I'm doing now. So I'm just going to do the best that I can in, on this part of the journey for what it is. Um, and that's kind of what we locked into. We were like, okay, well, we're going to do what we do with our work to campaigning for the theatrical release and the Oscars. And so that that is how I, I got through it. Um, but, and this is probably easier to say if you've won it, won an Oscar, but, you know, it really reinforced for me exactly what we were talking about earlier, which is that, you know, like, because I made the decisions I made to do the things that I love, like those are still truly what at the heart of the matter are the most important things to me. My family, my friends, um, the simple act of walking up a mountain, paddling out in, you know, in swell or in surf, um, skiing, like those things that, were there for me in the beginning that inspired me. It's like, it, it's that whole experience reinvigorated my motivation to the things that have been always true to me. Um, because I realized like, those are like the only real true things that I have. And so, um, that's kind of how I've reconciled it. Uh, occasionally I definitely still think like, I, did I, 
that did I really win an Oscar? That is so did that really happen? Crazy. <laughs> Like that is like the most absurd thought and I'll pat myself on the back for a moment, but like, I'll be like, wow, that, that was pretty cool. But, um, in general, it's kind of like, you're still the same person you were before you won the Oscar and, um, keeping your feet on the ground and doing these things is still, um, like the greatest joy of my life and my kids, you know? Yeah, you, you mentioned this a couple times. Uh, I want to focus on two things. You talk about motivation and you know, what what makes you do the things you do. And um, you, you mentioned family a bunch. Um, I want to talk about two things. We'll talk about family first, and I'm going to shift gears to talk about something else. So um, you co-directed the film with your wife, so there's family there. And I know um, you have uh, a couple kids. And, and how, what role does the the role of your family play in your your outlook on life and your career and how is it to work as closely i share this with i, I work very closely with my wife for yeah. whatever 15 or 20 years yeah. and we have a lot of mutual friends and and you know that uh i'm curious what your take is on working closely with chai who um also incredibly visionary in her craft yeah. um so can you talk about you know the role of, of family your kids the way that you uh, work closely with Chai and and um, how that's impacted your, your career. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, that's funny. I'll, I just have to throw this anecdote in there. Um, people ask about what the hardest part about filming Free Solo was. And so when we started production on Free Solo, Chai was um, six months pregnant and we had a two-year-old daughter marina and my son james was born a couple months into production so we had a two and a half year old and a newborn on location in yosemite um during the production of free solo it was insane <laughs> like trying to do like managing like our crew the high angle team doing a 15 hour day and coming back and, and like changing diapers and watching dailies and like juggling but um my kids grew up with you know uncle alex and um my whole crew of you know burly climbing cinematographers and um and i and i and i now look on that time, you know, um, and, and love thinking about it. But uh, yeah, it's all mixed up, right? Because, you know, this is Chai's like the mother of my children. She's, you know, my cohort in this film and producer and director. And, and, um, and that can be really challenging, as I'm sure you um, <laughs> probably have experienced, uh, yeah. especially when you have two directors in the house. Like who gets to decide what you're going to eat for breakfast <laughs> and two producers. <laughs> it's like, we're both very kind of like strong minded and opinionated um, and have our ideas of how things are supposed to be done. But we very, very quickly realized on our first collaboration on Meru that the, the, the two very different worlds colliding, which was me climbing bum, dirt bag, ski bum, adventure photographer guy. And then <laughs> very, very highly intelligent, sharp, 
um, woman that's, you know, grown up in Manhattan and has, you know, never ever even thought about climbing. Um, but also like an incredible filmmaker and, and, and her story about her filmmaking career is actually probably worth doing a show on too, because her career is extraordinary. She made her first film when she was 22. Um, first feature doc at 22. And because she, she was breezing through Princeton, she was so bored, she decided to make a film her senior year. <laughs> and she, she uh, got accepted into Tribeca Film Festival, her first feature doc at 22. And then it won best documentary at Tribeca, you know, when she's like 22 or 23. Pretty unheard of, I think still probably the youngest person to ever win it best feature doc at Tribeca. Um, anyway, so she, we kind of came together and it was that um, cross-pollination thing that happened where a sensibility and a way of thinking meshed together with where I was coming from. And I think it birthed something that was different than um, either of us could have achieved on our own. And, and we recognized that. And, and that's the kind of work that we look for. We're like, what are the projects that are really interesting to me and really interesting to her? Like if it, if it doesn't interest both of us, we're kind of setting them aside. We're working on projects that like we both are like, whoa, I really love it for this reasons. And she really loves it for this reason. And then we kind of mesh it together. But Well, I, it's inspiring and motivating and uh, reinforces the point about collaboration and community whether that community is your wife or partner or um you know uh one of your other co-conspirators it's just it's really inspirational how you've connected this yin and yang and i think that's that's you know it's a really common trait among people i've had on the show and and for creators, so again, so many people think of this as a solo journey and to be able to join forces with people who are, you know, as or more talented than you and as or more experienced and, and in different areas or areas where yeah. your strengths and weaknesses are, are well matched. I think it's just, it sounds like it's been a really key piece of your journey with mentors and with partners yeah. and, um, uh, the other side, the less pretty side of a similar coin, um, I'll file it under motivation or focus or inspiration. Um, you and I have both been caught in really bad avalanches. And for me, it was a really, it was a huge turning point because it made me change uh, a lens that I had on on this one precious life that we have. And um, I know yours is, was, was chronicled um, in, you know, in lots of different places, but I haven't heard you talk about it specifically as a motivator or a deterrent or, you know, what, what lens did that have on your, you know, this, the, you could file it all under just um, curveballs or things that are hard. Like how did that help shape you as the person you are? Yeah. Well, I'm sure if through your experience, you had probably very similar um, experience. Like you said, it, it, it's a very, heavy kind of check-in, right? Um, mm. A lot of the hard questions we avoid asking ourselves um, or questions that you don't even think about asking yourselves 
are, are answered <laughs> in a way without you wanting them necessarily to be answered or like, I mean, I guess we're all searching for, for purpose and meaning in life, but, um, but it was a, a pretty significant deep check-in um, when I, and it was pretty profound. It, 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 there was a moment probably within half an hour of it happening and me like surviving it being like, it's like, we have these amorphous kind of priorities floating around. They're kind of shifting, you know, sometimes they go here and sometimes they go here. Um, and I kind of remember it being like a, watching a screen and seeing things just go, you know, like slotting into all the places. And I was like, wow. Um, you know, like family, friends, um, you know, the importance of, of, what you want to achieve in your life and what you, where you want to be and where you want to go and how you want to feel, how you want to, um, the things you want to see and experience, you know, it, it really made me check in about those things. Um, and what I got out of it at the time was that I felt like in some ways it, it reinforced, what I'd been doing because um, it wasn't like I survived the avalanche and thought I should be doing something totally different. You know, I should have become a lawyer and I'm going to go to law school now, um, or I should have become a doctor. And I, you know, it's not like it, in some ways it reinforced like, okay, you did pick the right path, even though, if, you know, it took, it took me several months to even think about going back in the mountains, but, um, I did feel reinvigorated after I kind of got over the initial, you know, PTSD or whatever, you know, I was like, I was in shock for a little bit. Um, and, uh, but I did. And, and during that time I was questioning what I was doing. I was like, well, mm. is, is this the right thing? And, and I came out of it being like, yeah, this is the right thing. And actually, that that was the spring before I went back to Meru the second time in 2011. And, you know, obviously we, we climbed the shark's fin and then I made the film that next year. So, yeah, I think it- Is it like focus? It got it me focused, like, yeah. 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 It kind of shed some of the things that weren't that important, you know, like when you when you do that kind of deep dive check in with yourself, the priorities line up, but it's also, I'm sure you know this as well as anybody, it's what you start to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. It's the shedding as well. And it's 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 I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand that level of focus that what it was required to get to um, the level that you, Jimmy, have have reached. Um, anything, any regrets along the way for the focus that you've had and the, the you know, it's to say that it's 10,000 hours would be about a 30,000 hour understatement <laughs> to get, to, to, get to where you're at or, or uh, <laughs> similar. Um, 
any regrets along the way? I think, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with this idea of the number one regret of the, the dying is that they didn't live their life in accordance with their own values that they were, you know, go back to, this is like a full right. circle moment here, go back to how we open the show, which is like all these cultural pressures, what we should be and do and yeah. become. And, you know, you should pre- please your parents and your career counselor and your teachers and your grandma. Um, but, you know, you've debunked that. And so now I'm kind of checking in any, any regrets along the way or, you know, yeah. if so, well, what are they? It's, I'm, I, I would say that right now, um, especially during the quarantine, uh, I have been very grateful on a number of levels because a, I'm in a situation where I can work from home. I am in a situation where I can get out and get my wilderness therapy that I need and be, but, um, one of the things I'm most grateful for is the time that I've been spending with my, my family. And I've talked to a lot of parents, very successful entrepreneurs, CEOs, actors, actors, you know, all kinds of different people who are parents. Um, and the number of times I've had them tell me they're, because I'll ask the same question, like, do you have any regrets? You know, because that's what you want to know, right? Um, and they're like, I regret not spending more time with my kids. And I've been on, like, particularly the last few years, but since my daughter was born, um, you know, I've been on a, on a pretty insane work travel schedule. Um, yeah. This last two months is the most consecutive days I've spent with my kids ever. By quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Like I get three to five days at a time here and there. But like, you know, January and February of this year, I didn't see them. I didn't see them for two months. I was in Antarctica, went on a bunch of speaking gigs and then on to another shoot in Patagonia. I literally didn't see my kids for 60 days. Um, and there's four and six. 60 days is a lot They change a lot in that amount of time. So, um, I don't, I'd say I don't want to have that regret of not spending that time with my children. And this is this time with them has definitely really shown me how important it is for me to be with them day in and day out, even if I'm working during the day, but I see them in the evening, like, um, that connection um, and what happens and how much it takes to kind of be a good parent and like those daily little steps that are getting them, you know, further along to progress, progress as little mini humans. But, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that regret and it's something I don't want to have. Um, but in terms of like the rest of my life, I feel like, I'm, I'm happy with the choices I've made. No, that's just an amazing perspective. And I think that that's a, like the visual that you painted sort of in post post escaping death avalanche of just the priorities snapping into order is that's that it beautiful and to see you now sort of fulfilling that in this time and being reminded of i don't think do you believe in balance uh you know having a balanced life or is it more uh harmonious like what's the 
<laughs> given that you have to, you know, you're, it's probably not the last time you're going to go 60 days without seeing your kids, or maybe it is like, how, yeah. how do you, how do you, how do you get it? Balance. I mean, it's kind of like skiing. You're, 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 you're never really quite in bad. You're always kind of recovering. <laughs> yeah. Always just a little. That's, that's why I call it harmony and not balance. Cause I'm like, there's not one time yeah. where I'm balanced. It's all about, I think that's, you're constantly recovering. That's um, right. It's, it's, it's not um, about error avoidance. It's error yeah. recovery. Yeah. It's, um, but no, I feel like as I'm getting a little older, yeah, I would, I, I would say it was not very balanced just two months ago, you know, like, and, yeah. and, but I've lived like that for 20 years. So it's kind of like, you're just always rolling with it. Um, you know, any freelancer is like that, right? right? Where you're like, okay, now it's time to really jam hard. Um, and there's still so much I'd love to do out there. So it is often like a question I have is like, you know, are, should you give up all of these things in order to spend more time with the kids? Um, or, you know, but then you think about, well, what do you want your kids to aspire to from you, like being the dad? Um, so that's kind of the lens I sent because I'm like, well, I, I want them to do what made them happy and that like what makes them feel whole. And, um, and you also, you know, that's how you're the best version of yourself. Like that's what you get to bring back to the kids. So it's, it's, a juggling act, um, for sure. Harmony, not balance. Yeah. Um, last question, my man. I appreciate all the time today. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the global community, to Larry and Albert and Ford and Fergus and Sam Rast and uh, Furza and um, more than 100 other people currently commenting. Um, where do you go from here? Uh, you went, you, you, you basically rang the bell, right? You, 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 <laughs> the chains you did the, the thing that so many people want to do as a filmmaker. You yeah. did it as a photographer, first and foremost, transitioned into a filmmaker, made a couple films, rang the bell yeah. on, you know, on no, your it, first major doco, like it's, it's maybe second one, but where, where now? Um, in some ways, uh, it's, it takes a lot of pressure off in the sense of there are still a ton of stories we want to tell films we want to make mountains i want to climb lines i want to ski breaks i want to surf like and the list keeps getting longer um so there's kind of no shortage for me of things that i still want to do um but like the a fact that I, like you said i kind of rang the bell when we talk about that external validation thing, like it, 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 it it's kind of taking like the pressure off. It's like now, like I, even more than before, I can just focus on the work, you know, and I can just yeah. do the things that um, this, one of the nice things that you do get out of it is you, you have a little bit more um, uh, control over the choosing the things that you, you really want to do. Um, and so, you know, I don't take that for granted. And so we're, we're working on 
a couple films right now and there's um yeah, pretty much I want to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's beautiful. And uh, I would welcome the the opportunity to to talk with Shai in front of in front of the global community that listens to the show. Yeah. Um, you guys are an amazing pair. It was so fun to see you um, to uh, watching and and uh, communicating with some friends with CJ was there with yeah. you and it was just really, really fun. Couldn't be more happy for you, man. It's Thank just incredible. You. And um, thanks for for uh, helping put it on display. The you know the this idea of choosing to go live in your car and you know having not just everything turn out okay, but you know creating a magical life that inspires so many. So shout out to you. Um, and I know I'm representing, you know hundreds of, if not more of people who are commenting right now um, uh, about the quality of the work you put out there, the quality of um, the values that you um, live by and share is just really inspirational. And um, so many folks want to give you a high five right now. So I'm doing it in their place. Um, high five what's back the best? everybody. Yeah. High yeah. five back. And of course, if you're, um, if you haven't seen, if you're one of like the eight people on the planet that hasn't seen free solo, um, you must. Any other place you want to direct people for, for more of your work? Um, I mean, I guess my Instagram at Jimmy Chin, um, and then my website, jimmychin.com. But uh, probably the thing that I would shout out most is some of the organizations that I work with um, National Outdoor Leadership School, um, incredible organization. Conservation Alliance, amazing. The Access Fund, um, and uh, and the American Alpine Club. I mean, there's there's a lot of organizations that have actually also been there for me throughout my career, and um, I want to support them. So. Awesome. All right, folks, signing off. Uh, yours truly with the one and only Mr. Jimmy Chin in the house. Thanks for coming at us live from Jackson Hole. Folks around the world, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if it's your first time here at Creative Life TV, welcome. We broadcast live shows here every single day from the homes and living rooms and kitchen counters uh, of the world's top creators and entrepreneurs. Of course, we have more than 3,000 other classes at Creative Live, but you can see conversations like this and other impromptu things here during the COVID time at creativelive.com slash TV. Jimmy, thanks for being on the show, bud. Appreciate you, and we'll catch up af uh, offline. we got a little bit more time. Thanks, man. Good, good to see you uh, healthy and happy. And um, I'll, I'll follow up with you soon, my man. Sounds good, Chase. Thanks. For Thanks, everybody. Hey, that was an awesome episode. But before you bounce, just I got three quick thoughts. First, thank you for being in this community. It gives me so much juice. I can't even tell you so much juice that when I hit publish and this show goes out into the ether, that there's an amazing community of like-minded people just like you consuming and sharing the show. So thank you. Second, it would be huge. It would mean the world to me if you left a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, we're regularly featured at the top slot there on Apple's podcast page and others in Spotify, etc. And that's because of your reviews. So if you've ever wanted to uh, lend a hand or you got some value from me in the past and you want to pay it forward, that would be amazing. And then lastly... It would also mean the world to me if you shared the content that you get here, whether it's a screenshot or a photo of where you're listening, anything via Instagram stories um, or any other social feeds, tagging me 
and the guests. Now, I repost this content and your comments all the time, so I would love to share your shoutouts in my feed too. Um, not only do these shoutouts uh, are, are they good for you and me, but they also help us book amazing guests because they see the reach that you cultivate. This is a way for you to help contribute to the show. So, again, want to say thanks. I'm just at Chase Jarvis. You can use at Creative Live as well, and the guests are easy to track down because they are well. They're usually quite well known people. Um, but again, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to being in your ears again. Hopefully, tomorrow.